Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, Father, it's good for your people together today. And um, it's, it's good for these folks now, to, um, for all of us, to sit under your word. Your word has authority. Your word is true. Your word is right. And no matter how we step into this moment, um, that won't change the nature of your word. And so we ask uh, that you, by your spirit, would speak to us. Um, this is not religious jargon. This is, this is the pleading of your people because we need to hear from you. Um, set yourself before us in a way that we can see you. Communicate well like you are so prone to do so that our souls can receive it. And um, we give you all of that now and trust you to accomplish it for Jesus' sake. And everybody said amen and amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 16 is where we are. Um, we're under the umbrella here of the church versus something. Uh, this week it's kind of, it's uh, somewhere along the lines of the church versus hostile culture. Not culture just generally, but particularly hostile um, culture because the gospel is always a threat um, to the, the, the cultural powers that be. It always, the, the kingdom of Jesus is, is turned over upside down, right? The greatest is the least among you, right? That, that's how that works. And so the gospel is always a threat. So this is the church versus kind of hostile culture. We're going to pick back up in chapter, uh, excuse me, in Acts 16, verse 16, and then just catch a little bit of context here as we move forward. Um, it, in verse 16, it says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And so there's really just one point today with a couple of um, things underneath it for us to think about. But there's really just one point today. And that is this. God is on a rescue mission. Aren't you grateful for that? Uh, because my life is a wreck without him. Your life is a wreck without him. Everybody that we know uh, is, is a wreck. And so in chapter 16 so far, we've seen God go after and rescue this prosperous lady named Lydia. A prosperous person. Here in, in this first part, um, uh, chapter 16, or excuse me, uh, the first part of the story that we read, we've got this really disruptive character in this little girl. These are servants of the Most High God. These are servants of the Most High God. And finally, Paul gets annoyed, turns around, and she is liberated in the name of Jesus from the powers that had, uh, uh, that had her in their captivity. And then later, we're going to see um, a jailer, somebody who's really desperate. So we've got this really prosperous lady and this really disruptive character in this little girl, and then this really desperate person. Out of those three things, you don't know a person probably who doesn't fit under one of those three categories. God has rescued a prosperous person. He has rescued um, th this disruptive character. And he, um, it, we will see rescue this desperate person. God is on a rescue mission. That is such good news, I think, uh, for you and for me. Um, as we continue on, verse 19, it says, but then her owners, or excuse me, when, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now, can we just get after this for just half a second here? Um, don't, don't say, oh man, those owners are just terrible people. They are, they're terrible people. 
But let's not pretend that we couldn't also become that calloused. That callous to, to, to put something else above people. They put profit above people. We're, we're prone to that. We could do that. In the right situation with the right temptation, we could do that. Some of us put power before people. Some of us put politics before people. You just pick your favorite. But nonetheless, we, we could be that. So let, like, let, let's take that as caution. That's what I want to say. Let's not just say those are bad people. Let, let's take that as caution. Verse 20. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Remember, Philippi is a very dark place. They didn't even have a Jewish synagogue. It only took 10 people, 10 men, Jewish men to have a synagogue. They didn't have, it's a dark place. Verse 21. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. It's an interesting Tuesday right there. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. That's a rough day right there. Here they were doing the right thing, and they ended up beaten and in, stripped, beaten, and in jail. And not just in jail, in the inner prison, it says, and their feet fastened with stocks. Verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. There's the desperation right there. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then uh, he brought them up into the house and set food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Okay, so that's the story for today. And we can see kind of throughout chapter 16 that God is on this rest mission. Again, rescuing Lydia, this prosperous lady, rescuing this very disruptive character and this little girl and setting her free from the oppression that she was experiencing and the, and the, the slavery that she was in and then setting uh, this and saving then this jailer, this desperate person. And so here's where um, we kind of lay this out. And as I said, one main point, God's on a rescue mission. Um, this week, you know what God's going to be doing? He's going to be on a rescue mission. And three weeks from now, you know, he's, he's still going to be on a rescue mission. Jesus said this of himself, Mark 10, 45. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost and, and um, then to give his life as a ransom for many. I just mashed two verses there together. Luke nineteen ten says, uh, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, Mark ten forty five. he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. God is on a rescue mission. So how then do you and I get in on that? 
And first answer is faith. Faith is what connects us to his rescue mission. That, that's a critical thing for us to get a hold of. And what I want to do is kind of take the story at the end and then back up into the middle of it. All right. So let's, let's look at verse um, uh, 30. Uh, then he, the jailer, brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do um, to be saved? And they said, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so I want to catch this and don't miss the little preposition. You got to read the small words in the Bible. Don't believe about Jesus. Um, that would be way too easy for anyone for us to believe about Jesus. Oh, well, he was a nice guy. He was an ethical teacher. Hey, maybe he did some stuff that was really important that I'm not so sure what to do about or how to interact with. But to believe about Jesus is not what they said. What did they say? Believe in Jesus. Believe it. Put your trust in Jesus like you're putting your trust in that chair right there. Sit down in him, so to speak. Unite yourself with him. Trust him. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This is how we enter into and connect with God's rescue mission at first. Why? Because before we, are, before we participate in anything, which is where we're headed, what you and I need to be first is rescued. Before we participate in God's rescue mission ourselves, you and I need to be rescued. And faith is how we um, connect with that. This is a, uh, a picture differently in one of Paul's letters, Romans chapter uh, 10, verses 9 and 10. It's going to pop up on the screen here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what will happen? You will be saved. That's exactly, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what they told uh, this jailer. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. We're gonna talk about that word in just a second. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Why is it so important? He speaks about the mouth because the Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so you really want to know what's going on in here? Just listen to what people are saying. Not in their uh, uh, moment of, not in their best moment, but in all of their moments. So, with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Let's, let's get after that word justified for just a second. Because that's a really important Bible word. And when we say put you, uh, your faith in or believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. That all is wrapped up in that word justified. Why? Because as we talked about last week, Lydia's heart was closed. It was dead. We are disconnected by nature. You and me are disconnected from God. Spiritually dead. Our hearts are closed. Our eyes are blinded. And so God has to step in and external power, if you will, has to come in and say clear and shock us into spiritual life. That's what has to happen. The veil has to be, the blinders have to be pulled back so that we can see this is what happens um, when you and I are justified in God's sight. The gospel comes to us and you and I who were separated from God, sinners, very far. I mean, just you can't imagine how far we are away, distanced from God. You and I are brought near to Jesus. You and I are brought near, the Bible says, by his blood. You and I are justified in God's sight. We are made right with God. Everybody wants to be right. Have you ever met somebody who doesn't want to be? And so when, when their lives aren't working the way that they think that they should, or culture is kind of pushing against uh, some things in a way that's misshaping them in some way, there are ways that people typically try to justify themselves. One is to, to redefine um, what sin is. They know that they're wrong. And so let's just say what was once wrong is not wrong any longer. 
This is what culture does. And if I could just paint with the broadest of brushes, this is kind of the, the, the cultural left, so to speak. They, they redefine what sin is. The second one, uh, uh, second way people uh, justify themselves is to uh, kind of reduce the, the, the importance of that. Oh, look, man, it, it's not really hurting anybody. Uh, you know, uh, this can be swept under the rug, so to speak. Um, it, it's not as big a deal as what those other people are doing. That's the people who are, um, uh, the spotlight has come on them. Again, broad brush, the spotlight has come on them and all of a sudden they're like standing there like a deer in the headlights. Oh yeah, but I'm not as bad off as they are. Or look, this is not that big of a deal. Look, 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 see? And then the third way that people justify, some, some people redefine, and again, that's kind of that cultural left and, and, and those who are caught um, uh, try to re, um, uh, uh, reduce the, the, the weight of that sin. But, but on, the, on the cultural right, so to speak, again, broad brushes, really what they try to do is repay. Like, I know this is wrong, and so I'm going to figure out a way to kind of make this right. I'm going to just repay. And, and we know people like this who out of their religion, out of their effort, out of any number of things, they work really, really hard um, to try to balance the scales. They know that it is tipped against them. And so by their effort, by their giving, by their praying, reading their Bible, going to church, doing nice things out in the world, whatever it may be, they try to make sure that the scales balance out. Again, broad brushes, you can see the political spectrum all the way through, but here's the thing, none of that justifies anybody in here. There's not a soul in here that is justified by redefining sin or reducing the, the, the gravity of their sin or trying to repay their sin. Why? Because redefining sin, you didn't define it in the first place. Therefore, you don't get to redefine it. Um, reducing the, the effect of it and, the, and the, uh, the weight of it, you didn't say what the punishment was in the first place. Therefore, you are not the one who gets to define what, how important it is. And lastly, repaying it, do you really think that your sin against an infinitely holy and glorious God can re be repaid by some finite effort on your part? This is what, this is what religion does. And the Bible puts all of that to death. The reason it says in Romans 10, if we confess with our mouth and believe, uh, and believe in your heart that God raised you, the, the question is a question of faith. The only way a person is made right with God is by putting their trust in Jesus. The only way that a person is justified is by faith. That's all. That's the only way. Not by any of these other strategies. The only way we ourselves experience the rescue mission of God is by believing, by faith. That's how it goes. Jesus, we believe that Jesus, we trust in Jesus, that he died in our place and that he died for our sins. In our place and for our sins. I can't redefine it. I can't sweep it under the rug and I darn sure can't repay it. I have to believe that Jesus has done all of this for me. That is what it means to be justified. By faith, you and I are justified. No other way. No other way. 
And then it takes root in our lives. Look at the rest, uh, verse 32 and following here. It takes root in our lives and it changes us. When we believe this justification, this being made right with God changes us. Verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. So like just a few hours earlier, he was torturing them, uh, beating them, locking them in stocks in the inner prison. Um, Not a nice place to be. Um, And now he is washing their wounds. And then he, it says at the end of verse 33, he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. So it wasn't just this one who was affected, but his entire family was affected. And what was their immediate response? It was baptism. Now, I bring that up to say, uh, this was a big deal back then. Like when we baptize folks, we're going to baptize somebody, not next week, but the Sunday after. Um, When we baptize people, it's a fairly peaceful event here. Um, We celebrate it. It's a wonderful thing. Baptism back then was a different ball game because it meant what we symbolize here, it carried more weight there. Why? Because it was a shift. It it symbolized the shift in allegiance that there was an old man who died and a new man who was raised. There was an old woman who died and a new woman who was raised. And this is still the case in many countries in the world. Read this week, this week, um, in Christianity today, uh, a, a pastor in Iran uh, named Pastor H, that's what they, that's how they printed his name, Pastor H. He was um, uh, um, taken in the middle of the night uh, by the secret police and uh, um, ultimately um, tortured and ended up martyred because of his faith in Jesus. The Sunday uh, that followed, uh, uh, 38 people gathered to be baptized. And the, the, the guy who was filling in for Pastor H got the phone call that said, yes, indeed, he has been martyred. And he said to them, listen, the man who loved you enough to tell you about Jesus has been killed for his faith. Do you understand what baptism will cost you? Now, who is ready to be baptized? 38 people step forward. Like it costs them something. And in this particular, like it costs them something. So this is a, don't just say, oh, look, he went through a nice religious ritual called baptism. No, no, this was a big deal. He was immediately baptized, he and all of his household. And then in verse 34, he brought them up into his house, took them out of prison, set food before them. Um, so he, the hospitable part was there, hospitality, and then he rejoiced. This joy came along with his entire household uh, that he had believed in God. So by faith, we are justified. And when this justification takes root in us, it changes us. It transforms us. This is what we talk about when we as a church family talk about gospel transformation. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And look what happened. Look what happened. The second way that faith connects us to his rescue mission is not only is by faith that we are justified, we enter into, if you will, uh, his rescue mission, but also the way that we continue in his rescue mission is also by faith. We don't enter by faith and then walk by something else. We continue to live by faith. And so I said it this way, it's by faith that we follow. So let's back up to verse 23. Um, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
Having received this order, he, this guy who was later justified, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And about midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Sometimes our following means this, that we sing at the darkest night, in the darkest night, at the darkest point. How many of you have had that moment? Job said, God is the one who gives songs in the night. And I'm just telling you, there is a spiritual dynamic at work here when the people of God, I mean, just picture, all right? Paul and Silas, bruised, bloodied, fashioned to the stocks, about midnight because you can't sleep because your feet are in stocks. You nod off like you're on an airplane doing the head bob thing because you can't, but you're locked in prison. And Paul looks at Silas, Silas looks at Paul and goes, Dude, it was a rough day, huh? Man, it was a rough day here. We thought God was like Lydia. That was amazing. And then the little girl, man, she was annoying at first, but look at what Jesus did. That was fantastic. Hey, you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Really? Yeah, really. What do we do now? I don't know. Man, you know what we need? We need the God of miracles to come. We need like his supernatural love to break through. Hey, I think I know a song like that. How about we sing it? Okay, so God, and they start singing. And what happens? The prisoners are listening, right? Let faith arise, Silas. I know, Paul, I know. Our champion, he's not dead. He is alive. That's right. That's right. Let's sing some more. And so they start singing, and, and the prisoners are listening. And if you are in your moment where you're at the darkest, and God lets faith arise in you, and you give expression to that in some sort of song, here's what I want to say to you. Do not be surprised if the physical environment cannot handle the spiritual dynamic. Can I say that one more time? Do not be surprised if the physical environment can't handle the spiritual dynamic that is at work. What happened here? Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison, not just the walls, not just the doors, the foundations of the prison were shaken. The Bible says this, that when we as God's people sing his praise, that we build a throne. That's what Psalm 22 verse 3 says. We build a a throne of of, um, of praise to God. Another way it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we in here gather and we are lifting our praise to God, what happens? We're building a throne and then God comes in. He sits down right there. And on a Sunday morning in a relatively safe place, guess what? This, it looks like what we're doing here. Sometimes though, in the spiritually and, and physically darkest moments of our lives, when we build the throne of praise to God and God comes and sits down, It's extra heavy spiritually, and the jail can't hold it. Don't be surprised when the physical environment cannot deal with the spiritual dynamic at work. God just said, oh, hey, you hear them? You hear them? They're singing that song. God of miracles, come. Let's go. Come on, come on, let's go. And he sits down, and it wasn't the doors. It wasn't the walls. The very foundations of the jail were shaken. Sometimes our following means that we sing in the darkest moments. And and listen, 
before I run away from this, um, you can be honest in that song, okay? Like, I'm not sure Paul and Silas are there. Paul's like, hey, Silas, you got a song? Yeah, I got a song. Oh, happy day. I'm not sure that was the song. I don't think that was their song. I don't think that was it. Like, you can be honest in that moment. Something like, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, like this is that moment. Paul, I can't wait for morning. Why, Silas? Because there's going to be new mercy tomorrow. Great is his faithfulness. Like, you can be honest in that moment. You don't have to pretend in that moment. But in that moment, if you sing, just be ready. Not necessarily the jail will be shaken. Your circumstances may not change, but you may very well be changed in them. Just don't be surprised. Okay. Sometimes it means that we sing when it's darkest. And sometimes our following actually means we stay where we are in that moment. Now, earlier in Acts chapter 12, angel came, Peter got out of the jail. What happened here? Verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. There's his desperation again. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, what? Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Their faith prompted them to stay. Sometimes our following means we don't actually move. We don't leave. We don't get up. Sometimes our faith keeps us right where we are. When the marriage is hard, when the parenting moment is hard, um, when the job is hard, um, uh, when the friendship is hard, when the ministry is hard, when church is hard, when any number of other things are hard, sometimes our faith keeps us exactly where we are. Following him sometimes means staying in that right where we are in that moment, even though it's difficult. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and that's when he brought out the question. Then he brought them up, said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Their singing and their staying prompted this question. And th- that leads me to the this next bullet here. God's on a rescue mission and it's our faith that connects us with this rescue mission, right? Um, By faith, we enter into it and are justified. By faith, we follow him as we continue to live this way. And here's the final thought. God's rescue mission, he will, God will at times send you into places that you do not want to go in order to fulfill his rescue mission. Can I say that one more time? God will send you into places that you do not want to go to fulfill his rescue mission. Do you think Paul and Silas wanted to end up in jail? But do you think that they ended up there by accident? God sent them there to rescue the jailer in his house. Church family, where might God send you? Today, this week, this month, Some of you are getting on airplanes, flying to places. Some of you are going to step into um, conversations. Some of you are going to work in other places um, or be in other places. Some of you are going to um, speak or choose to not speak and return fire. 
God will send you into places you don't want to go in order to fulfill his rescue mission. He sent them there. They suffered for doing right and for doing God's will. And yet, and they saw this miracle happen all because they were there. God sent them there to fulfill his rescue mission. Not, not every place we go is comfortable. Is that fair? But every place we go is a mission field. Um, I think that we have to let starve the myth that, that comfort is a kingdom value. I think instead we say, God, we will do whatever you want us to do. We will go wherever you want us to go and wherever you put us, we will see as a mission field. Sometimes it's songs in the night. Sometimes it's staying where we are. Wherever you send us, we will live, we will think, we will um, kind of be focused on how do we do what we're supposed to be doing here. The, the pain's real, the bruises are real, all of that's real, but they're not there by accident. In church family, there's not a place that you're going to be sent this week that's going to be an accident. There's just not. Wherever God sent you this week, it'll be a mission field. And so we're going to take a moment and pray. And I, I want you to think about your week. I want you to think about soccer and baseball and classroom and homework and neighbor conversation and um, meeting the cable repair guy and all the things that are on your calendar. If you need to open your calendar app and look at it, do it. Because I think it'd be worthwhile for us to submit that to God and go, God, you're sending me to these places this week as far as I know. And, and these places are mission fields. So let's pray. And we'll respond here in just a second. If you're here this morning um, and you don't know this Jesus that we've been talking about, you've never heard or never responded to the reality that he has died in your place and for your sins. I'd love to talk with you about more, more about what that means. And so you can either meet me at the back or this little card that's in front of you there. There's a box there you can check and we'd love to have a conversation with you over a cup of coffee. Uh, if you're in here this morning and you're already a follower of Jesus, I really do want you to think about your week, all the stops you're gonna make, all the people you're gonna interact with, It's a mission field. And so, Father, we commit that to you. All of those appointments, all of those engagements, all of those conversations, all of those locales, those addresses, those practices, all of those. God, we ask, we ask that you... Um, would ready us for those moments. 